Thank you so much for standing with us and allowing us to be here. Thank you, Pastor, so much. We, we love you guys, and thank you for uh, the chance to be here. It is truly a privilege and honor, and uh, we thank you for this chance. I, I, I want you to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you would, please. We'll just jump right into the Word of God. Thank you for being here tonight, and I want you to turn to James chapter 3. Now, I apologize for my voice, and I am been dealing with, I don't know, it's the, the season's changing or the the leaves or allergies whatever it is it's affecting my voice and i am as dry as the driest desert right now so i apologize for having to drink water tonight it's usually not the case i stuck a a a cough drop in my mouth before uh i came up here but i have to take it out otherwise somebody might be baptized with it and uh, you may not want a cough drop come flying towards your face so James chapter 3 and um, we're going to begin reading in um, verse 1 How many have your amens ready to go? And, and thank you for, for, for coming down and uh, coming into a, a closer proximity. It really helps whoever's speaking. Uh, we really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We have some teachers here, don't we? We have some people here, right? You, you've taught or teach or presently teach or used to teach or wish you could teach or thought you might be a teacher or thought you might be called to be a teacher. Um, those who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. That is, unless you're a beef tongue. Have you ever seen a beef tongue? Those things are huge. Those things, I mean, the thing is big. It's just, do you realize there are places on God's good earth that he made lots of good part of the cow to eat. But that one should not be eaten. But they eat it. They eat the tongue. Why? Why when you could have a steak? Right? When you could have ribs? Would you choose the tongue? I'm sorry. They say it's good. They say if you cook it right. No. Uh-uh. I don't care what sauce you put on it. I don't care how long and slow you cook it. It's not going to be good. It's a tongue. Ah, 
when I was a youth pastor, I got the great idea. I was talking about, you know, talking and gossiping and, and all those things. And I thought it was a great idea to bring a beef tongue as an illustration. That's why it's planted deep within my mind. Um, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. I want you to notice this part. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. I want you to skip down to verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Father, I thank you tonight that we can come together on a Monday night. Lord, a specific time together as the body of Christ. God, I thank you, Lord, that we can open our hearts to you and and Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that this would be a challenge tonight to the body of Christ, that, that you would encourage us, that, that you would ignite something inside of us. God, I, I pray for all of those people that, uh, uh, that were not able to come tonight, God, that you would reach them. And Lord, that somehow, some way, Lord, uh, that they would be able to come tomorrow night. And, and God, we thank you in advance for that, what you're going to do. But Lord, we focus right now. That, Lord, that it was a small group of people in the upper room that literally started the early church. The church that would be responsible for sharing the gospel around the world. God, you're not looking for large crowds. You're looking for individuals. You're looking for people that are hungry. You're looking for people that are willing. And so, God, I thank you for these that have come out on a Monday night. And I pray that you would anoint this time, God, that you would capture our hearts. And that in this moment, it would be such a powerful anointed time of your word as you speak to us directly into our hearts and our minds that we would respond to it. And it would literally change everything, everything in our world, everything when we leave this building tonight would be changed. Lord, we would literally look at it through a different lens because of what you've done tonight. We thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Uh, I, I find it, 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 it is interesting when you start talking about the tongue. And, and uh, uh, Pastor and I were talking about before service how uh, uh, sometimes uh, our, our tongue can get in the way. And, and the way that this generation would understand it is by making a Facebook post that maybe they shouldn't have or making a tweet maybe they shouldn't have. Uh, but I, I told pastor, I said, my strategy to keep me from sending out the wrong Facebook message or the wrong tweet is when I'm upset about something or I have an opinion about something, I type it up and I type it up with fast and furious and I'm passionate and I am, I am just, I am just speaking my mind and I, I get it all typed up and then instead of hitting send, I hit delete because that's my therapy. 
because not everything that, that we want to say should be said, right? So not everything that, sh- that we want to post should be posted, right? But tonight is not about the tongue. It's not about gossip. It's not about the, the problems that the tongue can get us into. But the reason why I wanted to, that God brought us to this passage of Scripture, it is because of this part that, that I, I, I drew your attention to. In, in James chapter 3, there in the last part of verse 5, that consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. How many would agree with me tonight that our 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 country, our world is in need of a revival. And when I say revival, in the past that meant special services that a church scheduled that sometimes would go two or three weeks. In my own personal devotional reading uh, over the last few weeks, um, I, I've been going through this, this part of, of about that the, the apostles, that when they were writing the scripture, they said, what we are writing is not secondhand experience. In other words, the things that we write about that we saw Jesus do were firsthand experience for them. You get what I'm saying? In other words, they're just not reporting something in Scripture. They're just not writing something down so that we have the Bible based upon what somebody told them they saw. No, they said, we saw it. We were with Jesus, and so we firsthand saw Jesus do all of these miraculous things. And that really began to stir my spirit in this way that we are, we are so close to this present generation and the generations to come that those in the church will only have second-hand or third-hand experiences of seeing God move. Does that bother you? Does that, does that concern the body of Christ? It should. How many times have we said, oh, I wish it could be like the old times? Because a lot of us, we know what the old times represent. We, we remember the long revivals. That we remember the revivals in which the place would be packed out in the middle of the week and people worked manual labor jobs and, and, and they worked hard all day and yet they still came to revival and the revivals would last for hours and, 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 and we would see people in the altars and, and miracles would happen. But do you realize we have now generations that have never seen moves of God and in fact, if you talk to them about this, if you ask them this question, question, what is the glory of God? Have you ever seen the glory of God? Can you describe the glory of God? Have you ever felt the glory of God? Obviously, we are not able to describe the glory of God with man's words because he is supernatural. 
but we can experience the glory of God. Remember Stephen, the, 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 the first Christian martyr, the guy that would die first for Christ and building the early church? What did Jesus, what did God show Stephen before he was stoned to death? He showed him his glory. It didn't say he felt his glory. It didn't say he touched his glory. It says he just allowed Stephen to see his glory. In other words, the glory of God is powerful enough. It is amazing supernaturally to the point that go ahead and stone me because I want that. And if that's what's waiting for me, go ahead, bring the stones. Do you realize that, that God is having to raise up missionaries from countries in Africa, in the Middle East, to be willing to be missionaries that will go to China, that will go to Russia, and will go to Iran in these last days because he can't find missionaries in America that would be willing to die for the cause of Christ. I would love to say that I could be tortured for the cause of Christ. And I could pay the martyr's death for the cause of Christ. But that's at a level that very few understand unless you have grown up in it. The reality is, church, we, this is the audacity, this is the spiritual pride in America. Every time I hear someone say, well, why isn't an America referred to in the end times prophecies? Wow. Where does that arrogance come from? First of all, who are we to say why isn't America mentioned in the end time prophecies? Why don't we see America mentioned in the Bible? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Maybe because we don't deserve to be there. <laughs> but the reality is, is that if we don't see something turn around, then, then we got bigger issues. And that is that we, we've got to become a country that is once again turning back to God instead of allowing the blessing to become the curse. We have become such a blessed nation that that in itself has become the curse because so now we don't have to trust for anything. We don't have to believe for anything. We got the best medical doctors and we got the, the, the most money and we got the, everything that so many people don't have and so there's very little trust. And, 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 and so what, what God is needing to do and what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to awaken America. He's wanting to awaken the church in America. And he's wanting to awaken... The people of America, and and how how can he do that? How how will he do that? I believe 
it's, it's exactly what he is talking about. And this is a great illustration of how he wants to do it. And it says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. I think so many times we think that it's got to be this big, huge thing in order to have a big impact. I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me personally. So this is not secondhand, okay? This is, you know, how I was talking about the prophets, the apostles, the disciples that wrote the New Testament. They said, we are writing things that we firsthand experienced of seeing God do. Well, this was my firsthand experience. It's not somebody else's story. I... As an evangelist, I've been asked to do a lot of youth camps over the years. For some ungodly reason, Pastor, I guess when you turn 50, they stop asking you to do youth camps. Ugh. I still want to do youth camps. They don't really do that, but it's feeling like they do that. Haven't had any youth camps lately come my way. So if you have any influence in the youth camps, go ahead and put my name out there. I still feel like I've got something to give to youth. I was at a youth camp in the state of Oregon and it was truly one of the most beautiful campsites I've seen. I have had the, the privilege of speaking at some pretty amazing youth camps. In fact, One of them was at the top of the world. I mean, literally, at the top of the Swiss Alps in Fiesch, Switzerland. Anybody ever been to Switzerland? Anybody traveled to Switzerland? Yep, we got one. Uh, One of the most beautiful places on the planet. I I was one of these guys in Bible college that I, I was a missions major. I was... I was, I, I felt like I was called to be a missionary, a full-time missionary. And, uh, I, I felt like I was going to be a missionary to Switzerland. I know, I know, go ahead. Chocolate and cheese and Swiss Alps. I mean, how bad of a gig is that? Right. I, uh, I literally asked the, the head of the DFM back then, uh, Philip Hogan, way back then, he's, he's passed on now, but he was speaking at a church when I was in Bible college, and I went up to him. He was sitting there on the stage, and I just asked him, I said, um, uh, Brother Hogan, is there any official division of foreign missions in Switzerland? He kind of chuckled, and he says, uh, no, young man. And then he said something that was quite sobering. He says, uh, Switzerland is truly one of the hardest and darkest places to reach the people with the gospel on planet Earth. And the reason is they live in one of the most beautiful places on Earth. And there is no poverty. And they dip things in fondue. And they dip things in chocolate. And how bad could it be, right? Beautiful Swiss chalets and flowers and mountains and, and all that. Well, um, uh, as you know, I didn't become a missionary to Switzerland, but God did honor uh, that one day I got to minister in Switzerland. And I was invited one year to do a youth camp up in Switzerland, uh, in Fiesch, Switzerland, which is uh, up in the Swiss Alps 
And it is literally a camp that the Swiss Winter Olympic team trains during the winter. But during the summer months, it is open for groups to rent out for youth camps. And so I was invited to a youth camp for an international church. It was an, a, a, an Assembly of God international church in Brussels, Belgium, their youth group. And then all of the MKs, the missionary kids from all over Europe and northern Africa. And they all came from all of these countries. And we met up on top of the Swiss Alps in Switzerland. And we had an incredible uh, youth camp. Truly remarkable. But other than that, one of the most beautiful campsites was the Assembly of God Youth Camp in the state of Oregon. And they, the, the, where they put the speaker was in the district superintendent's cabin. And uh, it was a beautiful place. This camp was in the mountains. It was on the eastern side of Oregon in the Two Sisters area. Um, um, trying to think of the area that I flew into. Uh, it was a long ways from Portland. It wasn't Portland, but Bend, Bend, Arkansas is where I flew into. And so that area, if you're familiar with Oregon. And, and so this camp is literally in the mountains. And on the camp there, uh, right at the edge of the camp is this little lake. And it has a, um, a, a bike trail or a hiking trail that goes all the way around it. And uh, the river runs that feeds the lake uh, runs right through and right in front of the superintendent's cabin and the front deck. They built a huge deck out over this rushing river. So literally I could step out the door. How many could see spending a few months during the summer sitting right there, huh? I mean, it was a May. You just sit out the front door and have your cup of coffee and, and fish for trout and just smell the mountain air. And, oh, it's just gorgeous. One of the most beautiful, beautiful places. And then the, the camp uh, cafeteria uh, is in a two-story building. And it was on the second story. And on the second story where the cafeteria was, uh, outside there was also a huge deck where they had picnic tables. And so the kids could eat inside or outside, and it was dinner time. Uh, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday evening of that week of the youth camp. And it was right before they started serving dinner, and we happened to be standing out on the deck. And a few of us were just standing there, and we were looking off toward the, toward the mountains, and at this precise time, a thunderstorm was coming through. This thunderstorm uh, that happened to be coming through uh, right at dinner time. Uh, was a thunderstorm that didn't have much rain, but there was a lot of electricity in there. And the summer that we were presently in up there was a very dry summer. Uh, It was, they just had not much rain at all. It was almost drought conditions. And um, something happened that I had a firsthand experience that I never thought I would ever experience or see in my life. And that is in one split second, there was a lightning strike that came down and I happened to be looking right at the place that it struck and it was on the side of a mountain and it was right across from us. It wasn't, I mean, maybe the way the crow flies, uh, you know, a mile away or something like that, 
It was relatively really close, but it wasn't, you know, immediately uh, in the proximity uh, that we were at. And so when we saw that lightning strike come down, it struck one tree on the side of this mountain. The side of the mountain is covered in trees, just trees thick as can be. And uh, it was it was almost like slow motion. You saw that lightning strike come down and it strikes that tree. We can't believe what we have just experienced. We can't believe what we're watching. And then the very next thing happens, and it was, uh, it was almost uh, in the biblical pers- uh, you know, perspective. It was, it was almost uh, so hard to believe um, that when that lightning struck that tree, that tree was so dry and was a perfect uh, setup for what was going to take place because when that lightning struck that tree, that tree exploded into a thousand embers. And that one strike from one lightning strike striking one tree on the side of a mountain in the mountains of eastern Oregon began one of the largest forest fires in the history of the state of Oregon and even in the United States. And I watched it start. Do you know what some experience like that does? It gives you a lot of hope. It makes you believe. You, you see, just like this year, what have we seen that's captured the attention just like every summer? The horrible forest fires out west. Did you see the really bad one this year out there that another town was consumed? This town that's been around since like the 1880s was one that, that was in a matter of hours was destroyed. Like people have lived there for for 150 years. And in a matter of hours, this forest fire that was raging in the area, no matter what they threw at it, no matter what they tried, no matter what they did, they could not stop it. And so... That's when we see the impact of forest fires. We see them on the news when they're at that point in which they're just taking and blazing and consuming thousands of acres of mountains and trees and communities. But where did it start? One campfire. One firework. One Lightning strike. Do you know that forest fires were created by the creator? Did you know God created forest fires? Did you know that God created forest fires to do something good? Do you know that forest fires... Listen to this. Forest fires only became bad 
when we started building man-made things that got in the way of the forest fire. All of a sudden, forest fires are bad because we built our homes and our dreams out in these areas. And then when the forest fire comes and it consumes and destroys our man-made things, that's when it's bad. So you know what immediately happened when that forest fire started? When we saw that tree explode into a thousand embers, and then all of a sudden it was like slow motion, we were watching it, and it was like our eyes were just getting bigger and bigger, and we're like, we don't even know what to do, we're just standing there, and we're watching something happen that we can't believe happening, and it's just like one ember goes here, and one ember goes over here, and then it catches this tree on fire, and then another tree catches on fire, and then another tree catches on fire and then in a matter of a moment there's several trees on fire and then what what forest fires do at the beginning uh, they go up the mountain they don't go down they go up they eventually go down but only after they reach the top and then they go down the other side and it was it was amazing what happens is is the moment that there is a forest fire there is there is something put into action to stop it. We, I don't know who you call because 911 seems a little bit small, inappropriate. Um, it's a youth camp, so I really don't know my location. They picked me up at the airport and brought me out here, and I don't know... I don't have a street address to tell you where I'm at, but uh, there's a fire out here if you want to get out here and take care of it. Whoever you call, you call, and guess what? Man, they started bringing in by the thousands. They started bringing in the helicopters, and they would come over right next to the cabin that I was in, and they had that big bucket that they dipped down in that lake, and they would fill it full of that water and they would come up out of there and they would go over there and they would drop these huge buckets of water on the fire and then they had the airplanes come in and they would drop that red stuff whatever it is to try to put the forest fire out everything that they could throw at it to stop the advancement of the forest fire they did that Can I tell you, that's exactly what happens the moment God begins to spark something inside of us that says, I need revival in my own life. I need to get closer to God. I need to get into the word of God more. I need to pray more. I need to get closer to you, God. I need to sacrifice more. I need to fast more. I I want you, Holy Spirit, to ignite something inside of me. But do you know what happens when that goes off? Do you know what happens when a spiritual forest fire begins to ignite in someone, in an area, in a church, in a group of people, in a family? It's like hell's 911 goes off. Satan begins to release the strategies to stop 
what God is wanting to do in our lives. How many times have you had an experience with God in a church service, a youth camp, a conference? You come home from a conference inspired. You come home from a church inspired. An altar inspired. You come out, man. I mean, it has been the most amazing moment with God. And the moment you get in the car, you get in an argument with your spouse. The kids spill something in the back seat. They're fighting. You get home, the roast or the chicken's burned crisp. You have a burnt altar. You know what God needs? Just one dry tree. Just one tree that is so desperate to say, Holy Spirit, strike me, ignite me, because all it takes is one. To see a massive forest fire begin to revive a nation. What did it take? Three Hebrew young men in a fiery furnace. What did it take? One young man that knew how to pray, that decided to go hang out with some little kitty cats that happened to be lions. But they were just purring little kitty cats while he was in there. You see, church, this is the question. Is it an immediate need for revival? From your perspective yet. Or not. How much else. Do we need to see and hear. Before we start filling our altars. And our churches are beginning to be filled. People falling on their face before God. And leaving tears stained carpet, crying out to God, God save our nation, God save our country, God save my family, God save my country, God save my state, God save my commonwealth, God save my community, my city, my neighborhood, God save my children, God save my grandchildren. At what point does it take? At what point will it become something that is important? I will never forget, Pastor, one of the most incredible moments I've ever experienced the presence of God many, many years ago because of a Bible school professor. Him and his wife were missionaries uh, many, many years before they retired off the mission field and became uh, mission professors at Southwestern Assembly of God College in Waxahachie, Texas. And then brother and sister Gwines, he eventually became the president of the of Southwestern when I was attending there and his whole focus was on prayer. I'll never forget that. One of the most special 
uh, uh, people in my life, brother and sister Gwines, they were both my professors. And, and, and uh, I was completely humbled when uh, I became an evangelist. And, and one day I got the unthinkable invitation because I had an invitation from the uh, pastor from the church that they helped start in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. See, they were missionaries to Malaysia many, many years ago. And they helped start uh, started uh, a church in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, to, to literally, uh, at the time that I was there, they had to have seven services on Sunday to accommodate the crowds. This is a Muslim uh, and, and uh, a Buddhist, uh, a, a Hindu. You, you had a plethora of many different influences of false religions in this country, and and yet you had a thriving uh, Pentecostal uh, Assembly of God church in the capital of Malaysia, and the pastor uh, is was uh, uh, Doctor Daytalk Prince Guderon. He had been the the Daytalk part is uh, he had been recognized by his government. He was that influence. And in fact, he was on Dr. David Youngi Cho's church board uh, there in Seoul, South Korea. And he invited this young whippersnapper out of Bible college because of the recommendation of my professors. Uh, he invited me to come speak at his church. This is, the, this is like being asked to be preaching at, at the, the largest church in America uh, like it would be asked to be speaking at Joel Osteen's church. Uh, he asked me to come speak, not just to the church on a Sunday, but also to speak at a family camp. And uh, a family camp there in Malaysia was is completely different than what maybe you have an idea of a family camp. But they would do every year, people from their church would take a, a week of vacation and we would, they would go off to a resort, a beach resort, uh, and, and they would uh, have a week of vacation. It was on, on the beach. They would have all the fun stuff, but we would also have services every night. And they asked me to be the speaker for that. And let me tell you, Pastor, that was the day that I was like, man, I can dig this kind of missions trip. I had never been on a missions trip like this before. I mean, I slept on cots in the back of a church in Africa where you turn on the water and it's mud coming out, okay? I, I, I'm telling you, I've slept on cots in uh, camps in Mongolia where there are no bathrooms, uh, where there's no electricity. When you go into the kitchen and there is a, uh, a skinned uh, horse carcass, that is covered in flies that they're going to serve you. Those, those are the kinds of things. I, I've been on mission trips where in Chile, uh, they, they, they bring out the platter of food and they've got chicken and beef and pork, but they also have uh, the innards and they have the intestines. And, uh, and I said, well, what's that long thing there? And they said, well, that's the colon. Uh, that's the large intestine. So they cut a piece off for me to eat. And uh, I said, oh, well, the, what kind of fresh herbs uh, is it stuffed with? Because it had stuff in it. And they said, it's not stuffed with fresh herbs. It's, it's just the way we cut it out. Now, but I, I gave you a key. I said herbs. So it was not to the bad stuff yet. Okay. I hadn't made it that far. 
It was just the chewed up grass. Anybody ready to go to Chile right now and sign up? Uh, I didn't eat it. I didn't have to eat it. They didn't make me eat it. Um, Those are the kind of mission trips. When I showed up at this family camp in Malacca, Malaysia, uh, this was a five-star beach resort. They put me in uh, a beautiful suite right in the center of the resort, looking out on the beach, a beautiful fruit basket there. I mean, this beautiful big suite. I mean, the beautiful restaurants, they, they just food and everything, but that has nothing to do with the experience. The reason that moment stands out is because I'll never forget on the last night of that, of that family camp there in Malacca, Malaysia, on the, on the coast of Indonesia, there in Malaysia, that, that we saw a genuine move of God. Because all I can tell you, it was just a move of God. All I can tell you, it was like a forest fire that was ignited by the Holy Spirit. Because when I gave the altar call, a man cannot cannot come up with this. A man cannot motivate this. A man cannot do this. I couldn't have done this on my best day. I couldn't have made this happen if I wanted to. If I even knew what it was going to look like, I couldn't have made it happen. But at, at a, in a moment's notice, as, as the challenge was just to respond to the altar, all 750 Malays ran down to that altar, fell on their face before God, and began to cry out, even right now I'm feeling goosebumps on my goosebumps up here I'm telling you it was one of the most amazing sovereign moves of God that I've ever been a part of you can never even begin to describe what you heard as they began to cry out to God as they began to literally prostrate themselves on the floor and began to weep and seek God and it went on and on and on and no one was concerned about the clock and nobody was concerned with anything else they were going after God because they felt the presence of God you see the reason we don't see that is is because there's got to be an environment that people feel the presence of God in other words when I saw that lightning strike and it struck that tree there's nothing you could have gotten my attention to take my eyes off of it Oh, God is looking for us one, one person. There's going to come a point in which it would have been far better if we would have already seen a forest fire, the Holy Spirit break out. Why did God create forest fires? Listen to this. God created forest fires because life was starting to be choked in the forest by the brush and the junk that began to choke the very life out of the trees, the plants, and the animals. 
So God allowed forest fires way before man started causing them by arson, by, fo- by firecrackers, by fire, uh, uh, by campfires, way before any of those things happened. God created forest fires that were started by lightning and it was the most, it was the best thing that could happen for a forest because then after a forest fire came through, it, 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 it cleared out all the junk and then you had a forest that came screaming back to life and it was the deepest, darkest green. It was the most vibrant. It had the most birds. It had the most wildlife. It had the most growth. It had the accessibility to life. And let me tell you, church, the reason why we are so afraid of that today in the spirit world is we've got too many man-made things in us that we are afraid of God consuming. So we are so afraid of letting go and letting just a forest fire because a forest fire does what it wants. It goes where it goes. It consumes what it wants to consume. There is no controlling it. There is no amount of water, airplanes, firefighters, uh, fire retardants. There is nothing that can stop a forest fire. It'll go where it wants to. And the tragedy is the reason why we are not seeing revival in America is because the church doesn't want it. That's the reason why we have convinced ourselves down to we have dumbed down our relationship with God and we have made church that if we can't do it in one hour on Sunday morning, then it doesn't work. Man has become so involved in church That we're afraid to take our hand off of it and say, God, you do what you want to do. This is your house. Because then things will get out of control. Oh, for the day. Oh, I wish I could show every one of you what I saw that day. Because there is nothing like watching a forest fire. I want to tell you this one story. As everybody is standing, if you would please, maybe... We could play maybe just if you feel like it. My wife and I were flying from Washington, D.C. to Sao Paulo, Brazil. It was a 10 and a half hour flight. It was 4.30 in the morning. The plane was dark. We'd had dinner hours ago. Most people were asleep. We are four hours from landing in Sao Paulo. We're over northern Brazil. We're over the Amazon. At 4.30 a.m., everybody is awakened by the pilot making an announcement over the intercom system. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot speaking, and I have an announcement to make. Sorry to wake you up, but we are running low on fuel. And we're going to have to make an unscheduled stop in Malacca 
or Macapa. I always get them confused. I've been to both in Brazil. They're both on the Amazon. It's either Malacca or, or Macapa. Where we landed was a small airport. It wasn't an international they weren't used to getting big international jets. I don't know if you've done a lot of commercial flying, but they always put enough fuel in the plane to get you going where you're headed. Kind of makes sense, huh? I mean, at 36,000 feet, you don't want to run out of fuel, right? Right? When you're over the Amazon forest, not a lot of fuel depots for airliners, right? You could be out over the Pacific Ocean. You could be over the Atlantic Ocean. You could be a lot of places. I have flown three million miles in my life. Three million miles. The earth, if you go around it, one time is 26,000 miles. So you do the math. This doesn't happen. I was awakened out of sleep by that announcement. And I looked at my wife and I said, babe, I said, let me just tell you something that maybe nobody else is picking up on. But the pilot just said that we're going to have to basically make an emergency landing because we're running low on fuel and we're still four hours from landing in Sao Paulo. I said, he may be telling the truth. We may be running low on fuel. But there is a reason why we're running low on fuel that he's not telling us. This is not good news. Can I tell you when revival is not an option? When you're over flying over the Amazon force 36,000 feet and you're in a Boeing 767 and you have no fuel, but let me tell you, that wasn't, that was the least of our worries because you know what the real issue was. Do you know why we were running low on fuel? Do you know why we're having to make a real emergency landing? It's because flying over the Amazon forest that night, we lost our right engine. The Boeing 767 has two engines, one on the left wing, one on the right wing. My wife and I were on the left side of the plane that night. When I say we lost our right engine, I'm not saying it stopped working. I'm saying it fell off our plane. Let me tell you when you start believing in a God that does the supernatural and does the miracles in which you just lost one of your engines and you are 36,000 feet over the Amazon forest. Can I tell you, church, 
America, we've lost our right engine and we only got two. It's up to us. There's a remnant, but that's all that God needs. I said there's a remnant, and that remnant is in this house tonight. You see, God doesn't need anybody else. He's got a remnant. He can work with a remnant. He can work with one engine. Let me tell you, we landed that night without a spark. We landed without any crash. We landed without anyone, one person getting hurt. We landed that night in the dark of night with one engine running out of fuel. And it landed like there was two engines. It was remarkable. There was no doubt in my mind that there were angels. As we and my wife began to pray at 36,000 feet, God, we need a miracle. We need a supernatural miracle. There is no doubt in my mind that the pilots had help with our angels that were sent to protect us, to hold that wing level as we came in. Can I tell you, church, it's not a time to give up on America. It's not a time to give up on our families. It's not a time to give up on our marriages. It's not a time to give up on our church. It's not a time to give up on our world. It's time to say, let me be the tree. Let me be the tree, God. Let me be the tree. May I be so dry and desperate and thirsty for a massive forest fire of the Holy Spirit revival that would sweep our world, that would consume man-made things that have gotten in the way. And God, may you awaken the church. May you awaken the body of Christ. May you awaken it. And may it start in me. Let me be the tree. Explode me into a thousand embers that everywhere it goes, another fire starts, another revival starts starts, another revival starts, another person is being saved, and then the miracle happens, another limb is restored, another person walks, another person begins to see, another heart is healed, another baby is touched, another dead one is raised, come on church, if you want to be that tree, I want you to get to this altar as fast as you can, fall on your face before God, and begin to weep and seek God, and say, God, we need revival, God. God, I want to be the tree. God, I want to be the tree. God, strike me. Strike me. God's looking for a remnant. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.